Hello boys and girls. How are we? I tend to do these videos when I'm sick, have you noticed that? I'm not a sickly person. But if you watch my videos, you would get the impression I was sick. I usually get maybe once a year. I actually just had flu. I'm not properly sick, but you can probably hear I have, I have been sick with the, the flu. Uh, it can't be a normal flu. Has to be a super virus. Has to be some mutant flu virus that is a result of the overuse of antibiotics. You're on an angle. Let me untilt you. Today I'm going to talk about um, some things that I learned in the uh, recent Sam Vaknin seminar that took place in London. Really, really good seminar. Uh, li listening to Sam, as always, um, is, uh, you know, it, it's always a revelation. There's always things going on there that um, you've never heard before, you'll never hear anywhere else. And that uh, really make you think. Now, this was this was through convers this was through things I'd heard him saying during the seminar, but also conversations I'd had with Sam uh, over dinner about narcissism functioning as a kind of split personality. And uh, this was a theme that came up uh, a few times during the course of the seminar. Now, first of all, I should say that, like many people in mental health. Um, I'm not alone in this. I actually don't, I'm not convinced by the narrative of split personality disorder. And some people will say, well, that's because it's out of date. What we are supposed to say now is dissociative identity disorder. And I would say, yes, but, <laughs> and people are still using DID, dissociative identity disorder, and then they say that and you think, oh, you know what the reality of split personality disorder is and isn't. And then they talk about it as though it's split personality disorder. So let me be very specific in describing to you what I mean there. Like many people in the mental health field, uh, like many um, psychiatrists and psychotherapists, apparently the majority of psychiatrists and psychotherapists when polled answered this way, that they don't believe that there is such a thing as uh, a, a disorder where there are multiple discrete, meaning in their own boxes, distinct from each other personalities inside of one person. That this was an idea that was wrote about in a very famous book and then was picked up um, by different films and, and video games and, and you know sci-fi books have picked up this idea of uh, a personality, uh, a split personality disorder, whether a discrete personalities who function completely independently with no awareness of each other. Um, and there's only a very small percentage of psychiatrists and psychotherapists who, when polled, when asked, said, yes, we believe it functions in that way. Dissociative identity disorder, as the reformatting of that concept, gets closer to it in that actually the truth of what's happened is that uh, as we understood it with split personality disorder, there was a major trauma, then there's a split in the personality. Yes, same thing. Um, but not that it creates distinct, separate personalities, like Bob over here likes fish and chips, but my other personality, Terry, he only will eat quinoa salads. He's very particular about his diet and nutrition. And when I'm Terry, I have no idea there's a Bob. And when I'm Bob, I have no idea there's a Terry. And neither of them know there's a Richard. It, it's, it's, there's far less evidence for that. 
what there is huge evidence for, and I've seen it myself, is that when the trauma smashes a personality up and there's this traumatic split uh, from reality where the person's capacity to relate to reality becomes um, critically faulty, uh, there's a critical error in the, in the system, in the, in the computer, and ceases to work, uh, that the personality um, functions split. So there's one personality that is now splitting apart. Now stay with me because I am going to come to a point where I say that actually it seems like there are different personalities there. But let's just stick with what multiple, what split personality, multiple personality disorder and dissociative identity disorder were and are and how it's described now. This is fairly new to me. Um, I wanted to learn about dissociation. I ordered a book online and what turned up was a big textbook all about dissociative identity disorder. And I was reading through it and I, you know, uh, I didn't read it properly. I, I, I scanned it and I was like, oh, okay, so what we're talking about here is the disintegration, meaning something was integral, integrated, and then it was disintegrated integrated and then we seek or sorry the people who work with clients with those issues seek to reintegrate the parts of the personality that split apart and I was like oh I'm familiar with that as a concept through parts therapy which I learned about through studying hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic programming and parts therapy I particularly liked Connie Ray Andreas's work uh, core transformations which was all about everybody has parts different parts with different drives you know, I will have a risk-seeking part of my personality and I will have a, uh, a very careful part of my personality. And those two things will come into conflict sometimes. And when they do, that conflict needs to be resolved. Um, so that's dissociative identity disorder is when disintegration of the different parts of the personality is so strong that a person is not functioning um, properly. What has this got to do with narcissism? Well, we know that narcissists, people with narcissistic personality disorder have a critical issue with dissociation. Uh, there is no clinical term called living inside of the narcissistic bubble, but perhaps there should be. It's a very commonly reported phenomenon that when you're in the presence of somebody with NPD, they seem to live within this bubble that is their fantasy reality and they can only interact with reality through like a thick uh, heavily glazed pane of glass and all the information that's coming in well actually the information that is actually fresh that is coming in is extremely limited um, and that everything seems to have this insular circular turned back upon itself reformatted so it functions in my world quality to it. So that's the narcissistic bubble. What's that got to do with uh, dissociation? So you have dissociation, which is when the person dissociates from reality. That's one level of uh, dissociation. You're, con you're basically living in a dream. You're just daydreaming constantly, but you're daydreaming so constantly and so consistently with such a high level of skill in your daydreamingness that you can, within fractions of a second, take pieces of rea reality, external input, and make it part of the dream. And this is what people with narcissistic personality disorder do. 
This is what people with narcissistic personality disorder have to do in order for the personality disorder to function. I've got a lot to say about this because Sam said a lot during the seminar and he said a lot like over dinner outside the seminar about it that I'm still processing, I'm still trying to process. That's one level of dissociation. The other level of dissociation is when the parts of the personality are dissociating one from the other. Now, do we see this within narcissistic personality disorder? Well, fundamentally, the baseline, the structure, the foundation of narcissistic personality disorder is a dissociative split, no, between the real self and the false self. So to that extent, it is a kind of uh, split personality disorder or a, or a personality disorder with a huge schism in it between these two selves. And does it get any deeper than, you know, if I have a split between a dissociate, a dissociation, sorry, I should say, let's, let's use dissociation, let's keep us from getting confused. If I have a dissociation between the part of my personality that moderates my impulses and my lust for gambling, cocaine, fast women and cheap cars, then... And, and that is, is dissociated from my ambition in life. And this has more psychological energy or weight and, and, and is supported by my current values more than my ambitions in life. Which one's going to win? This one's going to win and I'm going to have a problem because they're not. There's a, it's actually it's a parts issue. Those, and you can actually resolve addictions, quote unquote. I'm making air quotes here because... I think many are, you know, without wanting to, to disappear off the, this topic, that our concept of addiction is fundamentally flawed. The way we talk, the narrative we've built around addiction is, is fundamentally flawed. And it's the reason why it's so hard to treat addicts is probably not because it's very hard to come off whatever it is you're addicted to, but because you're treating the wrong fucking thing. You're treating the wrong thing. Do you remember back in the day, those of you who've been following the Spark Life Coach channel for three, four years, however long it's been now, when uh, another version of me in the quantum realm <laughs> used to talk about going to a counsellor or going to a coach or going to a therapist and saying, oh, my hand hurts, but really it's your foot that hurts, but you're too ashamed to say it's your foot so you don't tell the truth. So then... The, the whole coaching experience is focused around hand and you walk away from it and you go, yeah, it was okay, but my foot still fucking hurts. And, I'd be, and I would say, Who's, whose fault is that? This is an example of that where we're pointing at the wrong thing in the system. Uh, say, for example, gambling addiction, drug addiction, uh, you know, whatever you want, that the addiction at the level of something that is quick and fast and easy and, e and easy to conceptualize because many things are addictive. Being stuck in narcissistically abusive relationships is addictive. It's a form of addiction. Well, let's say it's, let's say it's something bright and shiny and, and easy to conceptualize, like cocaine or gambling. And you try and fight the addiction. Well, what you're doing is you're fighting the uh, coping mechanism. Now, addiction, coping mechanism. What's that got to do with narcissism? Their addiction is narcissistic supply. Sam said that several times in the seminar and he said it in a way where I started to get the impression that 
he was implying that all of the questions that we have about narcissistic behavior, all of your, any bewildered sort of sense of why did they do this? Why would they say that? What was the point? It was so strange. I thought we were here and then I found out we were over here. I think his implication was if you look, if you uh, penetrate down to first principles, use a bit of physics, go back to first principles, the structure of narcissistic personality disorder is such that one of the those prime operating principle is garner narcissistic supply. That is both an addiction and a coping mechanism to cope with a, a reality that is constantly trying to destroy my fantasy, my fantasy being the false self. Why does the person with NPD show up as different people at, at different times, like the mainstream media version of a split personality. Okay, well, let's say there's uh, there's two selves. There's the false self, and then there's the authentic self. Is what we're saying that the um, uh, authentic self and the uh, false self are in a battle, and sometimes they show through. No, but something close to that might be happening. What if I said to you, what if I told you? Instead, what if we change the words here? Instead of false self, authentic self, we said winning overt self, losing vulnerable self. Winning, I'm in narcissistic elation. Losing, I'm in narcissistic depletion. Winning, everything is going my way. I think I'm fucking amazing and the world thinks I'm fucking amazing. Losing, I think I'm amazing, but the world doesn't agree with me and now I'm pissed off. These two selves. Where's the authentic self? In? So these are a battle between strong false self and weak false self. I just said something deep there whilst improvising. Write that shit down and send it to me and I'll read it and go, damn, that was good. Uh, strong false self and weak false self. Where's the authentic self in all this? In true narcissistic personality disorder, the authentic self is probably in a coma somewhere. And it's probably extremely ossified, calcified, mummified, you know, dusty, shrunken, tiny, barely operating. Um, and this is the thing I want to warn you about. Because I think that we as the codependents, as the partners of people like this, are constantly clinging on with the malignant optimism that Sam speaks about for evidence of the authentic self showing up. And when we see weak false self, weak idealized self, as opposed to strong idealized self, we go, oh, look, they're here. The, the, the innocent inner child that's just waiting to be loved in the right way has shown up. There's hope when actually what you're dealing with is the drug addict in depletion, is um, his golem. I mean, like, what was, oh, I always do this and I always forget the fucking names. I think Schmeagel was the original fisherman, the, the uh, uh, hobbit-like creature before he, be, he turns into a golem, which I don't know if you guys know, it's a, it's a, it's a Yiddish word uh, for, um, a demon like if you make a pact with not a demon if you make a if you make a pact with somebody 
and to do something that is not right and then it comes back to bite you in the ass, you would be said you've created a golem. So I think he was called Schmeagel. So you've got like this human warm-blooded creature, a kind creature. He's just a normal dude. He's a fisherman from a village. He falls in love with the ring and then he splits and there's Schmeagel and Gollum. But where's the original fisherman? Where's the warm-blooded, normal-looking guy who's not grey with no teeth? Who's not, like, creeping around the rocks? He's, he's gone. He's become this. So you go, well, is... So Gollum's the real nasty one who wants to murder people. He's that split in the personality. And Schmeagel is the, is the one who, who's, who's using more of a fawn uh, trauma response rather than a fight trauma response. Instead of bullying people... And smash, smashing their head in with a rock or just outright deceiving them. He kind of coaxes, he goads, he, 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 he promises rewards if you'll just come, my precious, and do the thing that I want you to do and then you'll get a reward. But is the real self there? No, the real self is gone. He's, he's pretty much passed away. So you do have this split. Uh, that's one split. That's one narcissistic split. The, the primal one that you'll, sorry, the, well, no, strictly speaking, the primal, primal split is only really relevant when you're talking about the narcissist as a child, when you're talking about them before the age of eight, where the primal split took place within the personality between the authentic self and the false self. This now, let's call this the secondary split, which is the split between strong false self, weak false self, elated false self, depleted false self. So those two are going to show up and that's going to be confusing because this one is vulnerable. This one is in despair. This one might even uh, hate itself. And you'll be like, but everything I read on the internet says that narcissists love themselves. I mean, it's narcissus. He fell in love with his own self-image. What are you telling me? That people with narcissistic personality disorder experience self-loathing? What? What are you talking about? It's more complicated than we've been talking about it up until this point. It's more complicated than the common narrative you're going to find on the internet would have you believe. Yes, uh, the weak false self is full of self-loathing in that moment. Because if I've gone from narcissistic elation, so I've garnered good, good high-quality narcissistic supply, and it only has to be good in my self-perception. It doesn't need to be good in your perception, just mine. Uh, I was always appalled with my ex, how she would become narcissistically elated when she garnered the uh, sexual attention of, you know, old, ugly and guys. In my view, that was the perception of a 29-year-old man going, why are you so excited to be, why are you all elated that you've garnered the sexual advances of this ugh, horrible looking, creepy fella? But to her, supply was supply. So there's my bewilderment, which is, why did she do that? That doesn't make sense. And then you have the uh, Sam Vaknin um, first principle, if you like, which will help you to answer it. Was it to help garner narcissistic supply? You will see that it was. Problem solved. Whatever leftover questions you've got, that's what it becomes about. The person is functioning as a drug addict and these are coping mechanisms, and they help to cope with a reality that's telling them they're not as amazing as they are to keep their reality at bay, and also to cope with their own inner world. 
So there is something else going on in the inner world, which is the superego uh, that Sam referred to as a harsh judge um, that would be described in the Pete Walker material as the inner critic. The NPD personality has a ferociously, savagely harsh inner critic, judge, uh, superego, when, if and when, the NPD doesn't obey the law. So you could almost see this as like a, a, a godlike relationship. So God has said unto you, you shall garner narcissistic supply, you shall dominate every scenario. And their wicked God, their evil, um, unforgiving, jealous, angry, just constantly pissed off, savage God, when they don't offer sacrifice, when they don't bring them uh, the, the, the scapegoat, and they don't make their, their burnt offerings, he becomes enraged and punishes uh, the NPD person. person. This is all going on in, inside the NPD by making them feel huge amounts of shame. So you get... <coughs> people will say, well, does the narcissist feel anything? Well, they don't feel fully-fledged, authentic emotions like a neurotypical would. But of course, it's not true to say they're not feeling anything at all. You can clearly see an, uh, the person with NPD is feeling something. They feel elation. They feel lost for narcissistic supply. When I keep saying elation, that's the the high of the drug addict. He's He or she is getting everything they want in that moment. They're really buzzed up and excited and everything is going great for them. Their eyes light up. They're delighted. They found a good source of narcissistic supply and that source is giving them everything that they want. So when they're elated, at that point, this evil inner God, this superego, this inner critic, is silent. It says nothing. And at that point of elation, they become God. They become God-like. They become the supreme being in their own universe. When they fail to garner narcissistic supply, when they experience narcissistic injury, those feelings that they have that are not... So the feelings become... Um, the one thing that, that the NPD person shares with the CPTSD codependent is a poverty of emotion. So the CPTSD codependent will probably experience three or four emotions, and that's pretty much it. It's the same thing with NPD. There's no nuanced emotion. Everything is quite rigid, and they're not experiencing emotion the way that we do. There will be lust for narcissistic supply, and there will be shame when I don't receive narcissistic supply, and there will be rage that covers that shame. The, the, so if I am going for narcissistic supply over there, and you stop me mid me going for that narcissistic supply, you would have inflicted narcissistic injury and shown me that I'm not godlike. At that moment, I'm either gonna I'm either gonna collapse into the ravine of narcissistic depletion, where all the shame and the self-loathing and the boiling lava of uh, of of um, bad feeling powerlessness, the feelings of powerlessness and humiliation are, or I become enraged and can counterattack and do something uh, to redress the balance. Is that feeling? Yeah, a feeling. 
Are they authentic emotions? They're not, you know, ossified, uh, toxic shame and neurotic rage and childlike, immature, unboundaried lust for attention are all feelings, they're all drivers, are they authentic emotion in the way that half sane, half balanced adults would experience emotion? Probably not. That's, that's, I, I think it's fair for me to claim that no, they're not the same thing. So why is the narcissist showing up as two people? So there you have at least two, two people that could be there. You could have the false, the weak false self, which is either going to be angry and attacking or sad and self-pitying or both, or it'll switch between the two. Or you have the strong false self, which is going to be an elation and feeling good about itself and might leave you alone. Or some people with NPD, when they go into elation, they attack. That's when they attack. So the, the, the whole thing gets more and more complex uh, the more we look at it. It's not cut and dry, but it's not so complex that it can't be mapped, that it can't be understood. So you've actually got to look at what state the NPD person is in when you're talking to them. And the two states, of course, will function as two different personalities. It's the same personality, but they function in very, very different ways. And just like in the mainstream media, in the movies, in the books, these two states aren't really communicating with each other very well. They're actually... So a person in narcissistic elation could say a thing that the person uh, in narcissistic depletion does not remember and genuinely and authentically does not remember. Uh, we, we discussed this at length, uh, um, me and Sam and, uh, and his wife Lydia, the extreme memory issues that he has. And it's not an inability to recall, it's that the, there are these two states in operation and when he becomes one version of himself, it's like he can't access, his brain can't access the information from the other version of himself. Is that a distinct split personality? No, but it's close to it, it's functioning like that. One of the other elements within that, so you have the split of two different ways of relating to the world, even within those personalities, there are more splits because the way memory functions is that it, it, it requires that you tag, uh, and this, this came out through conversing with Sam, that I, I propose this, like if you're not feeling much, Sam, maybe you can't remember because you're not attaching feelings the way a neurotypical would to events. Um, and he said, you know, maybe. And then he said, I actually read some research. He told me that he'd read some research that said that when people wanted to recall an event, their emotional recall was just hugely more reliable than their cognitive recall. So if you were, you know, the, the day you passed your exams and I say to you, what kind of a day was it? And you go, it was a beautiful sunny day. And then I go and look it up and it was a really rainy day. Uh, that's quite common. 
you know, you experienced it as sunny because you, you stored it and filed it as sunny because in your heart and in your soul, it was a lovely sunny day and you felt good and people were proud of you and whatever. That is very, very transient, but apparently the emotion is not. Now, if you're not feeling authentic emotions very much, I think it's going to be quite hard to store memory in a way that is um, that, 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 functions, that functions well. One final thing about why narcissistic personality disorder types will show up uh, with different personalities or seeming different personalities. Um, oh, I'm sorry, just to finish that. This strong false self and... Um, a weak false self. Those of you who've been following know that this is another way of saying overt narcissistic personality disorder or classical narcissistic personality disorder and covert or vulnerable narcissistic personality disorder. These are not fixed states. And a person, it's very unlikely when you're talking about somebody with vulnerable personality, vulnerable narcissistic personality disorder, covert narcissistic personality disorder, that they never go overt, that they just live their entire lives in depletion and have never experienced elation. You've probably seen them. Maybe they were most of the time depleted, but you probably did see them go into elation. If they suddenly left you out of the blue, so if you were with somebody for nine years and there were more of that, you never really clogged uh, uh, on to the fact that they had narcissistic personality disorder because they were so vulnerable and they, were so, they seemed to be so full of self-loathing and disappointment and, and shame. They weren't these arrogant go-getters who were out there t bashing people over the head going, look at me, I'm fucking cool. They weren't like that, but they were exploitative and they were entitled and they were a bit nasty and you only caught on to it uh, over time. If they suddenly up and leave you, that can be because they've actually found a narcissistic supply that makes them experience elation. And then they, it's like a machine that's been uh, running on uh, sleep mode. Just chug, 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 chug. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, let's just keep going. Yeah, everything's okay. No problem. Da, da, da. Yeah, everything's fine. And then one day, they actually come across some narcissistic supply that puts them in elation. And it's like the whole, like the whole machine fires up. All the machines, you know, the the engines are, are firing on all cylinders, and they'll just change in front of you and quite possibly leave. They'll quite possibly just walk away because, and and you you know, and they'll not look back. They won't. They won't look back if they've secured a new source of narcissistic supply. They will not look back. So that busts another one of the multiple myths that people come to me with. Uh, you know, I thought that narcissists always revisited old sources of supply. Well, I haven't seen my ex-wife in four years. <laughs> it's a myth. Sometimes they do, and we understand the mechanics of why they do. Whenever narcissistic personality disordered people are behaving in bewildering ways, do you remember what I said? Let's call it, let's call it... Uh, uh, Sam Vaklin's first principle, it's because of narcissistic supply. If you withdraw narcissistic supply from the equation, uh, none of the behavior, none of it will make sense. If you deliberately seek to describe behavior in terms of narcissistic supply and you force yourself to engage in that mental philosophical discipline, everything will make sense. Everything that was bewildering before you'll go, oh, of course, of course, there it is, it's right there. 
he or she just found a new source of narcissistic supply and that's all that that was about. So that's the main thing that I wanted to say, just as a, a final point. Uh, there is another way in which the uh, NPD can show up with different personality types and that is when they're in different environments running different agendas. Of course, the NPD in an environment where they're going to go on a narcissistic supply through their intellect is going to show up as being more cerebral. If they're going to go on a narcissistic supply through their body, then they're going to show up as being more somatic. And that is just good uh, social chameleon work on their part. That's just one of their many skill sets. They're good at that. They go, well, in this environment, in order to go in order to garner all the attention in the room, I need to be this. And in this environment, in order to garner all the attention in the room, I need to be that. Which can also be very distressing for partners. Even if they don't leave you, if they all of a sudden show up with completely different behaviours and different beliefs and different values, they can make you feel like you don't even know them. I've experienced that. Like, I don't actually know who this person is. You've always told me you hated X. And now I see you doing... Not just X, but Y as well, right in front of me. But you always told me you didn't like that. So were you lying or was it, you know? And so as they're activating a, a different part of uh, themselves, as a, as a different part of themselves become activated, those different tastes and those different drives and those different uh, desires come into play. But also it could just be an agenda. Everybody does that. I'm not going to go and meet your grandmother and show up and be shouting and swearing, am I? Because that's not what grandmother's like. I'm going to drink her tea and eat a slice of cake and talk nicely to her with no swearing because that's what grandmother's like. Um, that's it for this video. There's more. There's more stuff from the seminar, but I think I would leave it at that. Oh, I'm just thinking, will I cover that in other videos? Okay, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two more quick things that relate to the split personality issue and, and narcissism and then, I'm, and then we'll just wrap it I'll stick it all in one video if I stagger it over loads of videos it becomes annoying uh, so two of the things that Sam said we've spoken about splitting you know how uh, a mother with her two children she'll split you're the all good one the golden child you're the all bad one the black sheep Sam came up with another term uh, projective splitting. He says in order for the narcissistic mother to do that to the narcissistic children, she is actually splitting herself. Is another way in which <laughs> the narcissism functions like dissociative identity disorder as all good and all bad. So she'll have her all bad parts, she'll split them from herself, she'll lop them off and project them, projective splitting, onto the black sheep and her all good parts will be split off and uh, projected into the golden child. And that's how the golden child becomes a source of narcissistic supply because I'm now projecting all the goodnesses there's me into you and you're like a little mirror that just fires it back at me. And that black sheep, oh, I really hate that black sheep. Not because I the of the child, but ugh, the horrid mirror that he or she now represents showing me the stuff about myself I don't like, projective splitting. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, the second final point, a final point part two that uh, Sam mentioned is that the false self functions almost like another person. The narcissist will project uh, elements onto the false self 
as though he were projecting onto a person. And projection is not only the projection of negative attributes, projection can be the projection of positive attributes. The, the narcissist will talk about the false self himself, his own false self, sometimes as though it is a separate person. Didn't he do well? Well, nobody's going to say that, but nearly getting, getting close to that. I'm just going to grab my notes. I want to make sure I covered that, that last, last point. Oh. Properly. You can look at my forehead whilst I do that. Forehead. Forehead. Okay. Yes. So there's, there's projection uh, that goes um, straight onto the, uh, the, the false self of... Uh, attributes and even achievements that might never have been done. And this is seen within the narcissistic bubble as valid. This is how people with NPD can lay claim to have, uh, doing things at work or in different environments that they didn't actually do, that somebody close to them did. But they are gathering that which is available in the environment to bolster the uh, this sort of like false image version of themselves. It's almost like this, this godlike entity. I'm thinking of the monolith from uh, 2001, Space Odyssey. There's this endlessly hungry monolith that needs to be given tributes and sacrifices all the time to keep it happy. Because if it's happy, it leaves you alone. If it's unhappy, my God is a jealous God and vengeance shall be his, then he punishes and he punishes downward. So the, the, uh, if the narcissist goes into narcissistic elation, he begins punishing himself for his failure to achieve a narcissistic supply in brutal, brutal terms. Okay, that truly is it for this video. We've got everything on one video now. I don't need to stagger it. Um, so uh, thank you very much for watching and I look forward to reading your feedback in the comments section below. Thank you for your time and your attention. Speak to you soon.